Hello and welcome to this week's podcast from Revenue Rocket. Broadcasting uh, live and direct from my home in Prior Lake, Minnesota. Today we're going to talk about the 10 things to accomplish if you're trying to do an acquisition on your own. This is certainly an area that's near and dear to our heart since we facilitate lots of M&A transactions in partnership with our clients. But if you're a smaller firm or you're a firm that you know, just feels like you want to try to tackle this one on your own, um, we're going to give you a few uh, tips and tricks here. There's uh, probably the first and, and most critical things uh, to consider if you're going to roll your own or what we'll call DIY M&A is make sure it's the right time to buy. And what we mean by the right time to buy is that you've taken into consideration your current business uh, situation. Uh, you need to be able to be in a position to take some risk um, when you're going to do an acquisition. And, you know, that may be the risk of taking on some debt or the risk of, you know, distraction associated with an M&A transaction in, in general or just the risk of deploying capital that um, is... Um, you know, that, that is scarce. And uh, I would certainly advise against uh, doing an M&A transaction if you have a lot of debt or your balance sheet is, is leveraged uh, significantly right now. Um, you have to make sure that you have some room for error uh, when you're going to do an M&A deal and that, you know, realize that maybe not everything will go to according to plan. So it's critically important that um, you pick the right time to do a deal. Uh, we get a lot of questions about, you know, is it better to do a cash deal or a stock deal or some combination, or should you use an earnout or not use an earnout? You know, structuring is really important. Um, and probably the second uh, most valuable consideration is to think about, again, what's your uh, capacity for risk, but also what's your desire in doing a transaction. Certainly the cheapest way to buy a company is for all cash. Um, you get more leverage against the purchase price. Um, you certainly can define your return uh, horizon much more accurately if you do that, if it's a sort of a fixed fee cash deal. Um, but it also comes with the highest risk because uh, no one can predict the future and, and you have to be very confident if you're going to do a cash-based transaction in your own ability to continue to grow the business uh, and or integrate the business if you continue to operate it uh, post-transaction. Um, there's also consideration on behalf of the seller. Uh, is the seller uh, wanting to sell in or sell out? Um, oftentimes, and when I refer to that, I refer to, you know, oftentimes sellers in our market in IT services want to sell in, meaning they want to join the new organization. They're either tired or they've grown the business as far as they can, and they need to be part of something bigger. And that's a sell-in transaction, which may warrant a, a partial stock transaction or an all stock transaction, depending on the situation. Um, likewise, if owners are approaching retirement, they may want to sell out. And if they want to sell out or they want to leave the industry altogether, um, then it makes it tougher to have earnouts or contingent consideration or even stock for that matter, um, as they will not be part of the ongoing operation post transaction. And of course, after in orderly, um, an orderly transition. Uh, the third consideration has to do with how accretive is the deal to your business? Meaning, uh, we often use this term, one plus one equals three. Is there really a one plus one equals three, four, or five in the business? Are there places that 
you can get together that you can't get apart. And if that's the case, then there's a good, you know, business case for you to do this deal. If it's not all that accretive, um, then there may not be. Uh, and, and I think you have to look hard at that. It's beyond the, you know, valuation or, or what, you know, you're going to pay for the business. If there's not a significant strategic advantage to be had by combining the two businesses, then you should really look at whether or not you should do that. Uh, and make sure that it is accretive to your business profitability. I think when people think of accretive, what's accretive, they think about, well, maybe it should just be accretive to revenue. And that's really not the case. It should be accretive to profit in your existing business after all debt payments or other payments are made. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense to do it. The fourth thing is to make sure you value an acquisition properly. Uh, there's lots of opinions on valuation we think it comes down to some pretty simple, basic premise. If you can get whatever that value is, if you can get a return on investment of less than five years or an internal rate of return greater than 20%, you should probably do the deal, regardless of what the price is. A lot of people talk about valuations in the term of a multiple EV beta. You hear that a lot. Well, if you pay four or five, six, seven, eight times EBITDA, then that's fair for a particular business in IT services. I would say that that is a, a data point, uh, but not the most relevant data point if you're a buyer. But the most relevant data point is if you're a buyer, is can you get to a deal with a willing buyer and a willing seller coming to agreement on both price and terms in a transaction that will get you to an effective internal rate of return uh, of more than 20% or less than a five-year ROI return on your investment. Uh, if that's the case, then you know you should probably do that deal. And we've certainly advised many clients on doing deals that are above what people would consider industry average multiples based on the fact that they were gonna get to that IRR, uh, 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 a favorable IRR number uh, or a favorable return on investment. So uh, there's also, you know, a consideration, uh, sort of the number five consideration is, you know, what we'll call a category analysis to determine kind of what to buy and when. And this gets a little bit back to, is the deal accretive to your business? And should you expand your service line into a different line of business? So for example, if you're a managed service provider and you don't offer security services today, do you want to acquire an MSSP that does Acquire, that does offer managed security services. Um, that would be a, sort of a category analysis. Is that something that's going to be accretive to our business? Are we going to be able to get somewhere, again, back to the point of uh, one plus one equals three, uh, to a place that we can't get separately? Is this category growing or shrinking? And, and should we add additional services? We've certainly seen it with some of our clients uh, getting into what we'll consider sort of out of their normal swim lane um, uh, lines of business that have been very effective for them. And we've helped with many of those transactions. Um, certainly you wanna properly evaluate the competitive landscape. Uh, if you're looking to acquire a business, uh, you wanna make sure that you understand what competitors will exist, particularly if you're buying a new line of business that you're not in today, where you may not have a good perspective on the competitive landscape uh, so that you know uh, how this business stacks up vis-a-vis -vis their competition and how they will be stacking up as part of your business. 
So once you've determined, you know, these first, you know, six categories of alignment, how do you draft the letter of intent once you find the right target? I think if you're doing a DIY uh, M&A effort, you really need to engage your lawyer here. Letters of intent are non-binding, so they're, I, I want to say they're, no pun intended here, not rocket science, um, but they certainly do have, tend to have a fairly standard format. And there are components of a letter of intent that remain binding or are tag-alongs for things like your non-disclosure agreement and other components, um, and generally what is binding in a letter of intent is uh, to honor the originally signed non-disclosure and oftentimes a no-shop provision, meaning that while you're doing due diligence on a seller, the seller cannot sell to someone else uh, because you're going to incur a bunch of expense associated with doing due diligence and looking at uh, the business and trying to put things together. So you typically put in a binding provision in a letter of intent that uh, talks about the no-shop. Then the question is how to establish number eight is really how do you establish a due diligence plan? And then how do you establish a forecast, a combined forecast that's meaningful? Well, certainly there's a lot of due diligence lists available online and, and uh, recommended approaches to due diligence. You'll have no shortage of those if you go look online. We certainly have some ourselves um, that are available uh, by request at info at and uh, should you want to um, you know, do due diligence in a comprehensive way, we think you probably need to engage some outside advisors. And this may be a time to engage your accounting firm. Uh, accounting firms do due diligence all the time and manage due diligence efforts and certify due diligence. They can do what's called a quality of earnings analysis uh, if you would require that in your business. Most small businesses don't, however, and so I would encourage you to talk to uh, your accountant about what would be involved in a reasonable financial due diligence plan. Certainly you need to engage your lawyer on the legal due diligence component, uh, which will be looking at contracts and, and evaluating the legal risk associated with the transaction. And that can be discussed as you begin to you know, draft your definitive agreements. And then a combined performa, also your accountant could assist with that. Um, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to cash flow any debt service that you're going to be taking on associated with this transaction. And you want to make sure you've done your homework there. So we would strongly recommend that you engage your accountant on that. And then really, as you look at drafting the definitive agreements, that's probably the most difficult component of any M&A transaction uh, because there's just so much to negotiate. You certainly need a good M&A lawyer to assist with that. They can guide you on drafting the agreements and they can give you some guidance on the business aspects of the negotiation. We personally think it's better to have an M&A advisor to assist with this negotiation because they've assembled many of these transactions and they can partner with your lawyer and yourself to get the best optimal deal structure. Uh, but if you want to do it yourself, we would recommend you lean on your uh, legal advisor for the help on that. And then as far as closing timeline, um, certainly the closing timeline has everything to do with all these moving parts and how quickly they can get done. We think managing uh, everyone's expectations to about a 90-day closing timeline from LOI to close is realistic, uh, but every situation is different and we recommend that you talk to your advisors. So, you know, as we look at acquisitions in general, when, when uh, there's some kind of interesting statistics, 
if you roll your own, if you intend on rolling your own, uh, the, the market stats say there's only about a 1% chance that you're going to get that deal done to completion. And the reason that is, is, you know, it's been called the most unnatural act in business for a reason. There's just so many things that uh, need to be considered. There's hundreds and hundreds of things that need to be considered as you move from identifying a potential seller uh, to negotiating the transaction, to financing it, to drafting legal agreements, to building an integration plan, uh, and ultimately getting the deal done. If you engage a uh, M&A advisor, on average, you'll have about a 50% chance of getting that deal done. In our case here at Revenue Rocket, um, you know most of our work is buy side, representing buyer. 94% of the time, we get our transactions done. So we have a much higher success rate, I guess, than the market. We certainly think that uh, because of these difference, differences in the likelihood to get a deal done, that you should engage an advisor, whether it's us or someone else, uh, to help you get your deals done. And, and that just increases your odds to get the deal done. Other reasons why you might need an advisor, there's a time when um, you'll need to have a bad cop in the negotiations, and you have to maintain a relationship with the company owners that you're acquiring post-transaction, and that certainly can be your M&A advisor. There's certainly uh, a need to have a knowledgeable valuation advisor, someone who's either your M&A advisor or an outside valuation source that can help you. And that's an accountant or that may be a valuation firm or that may be your M&A advisors. And then just understanding and, and, and uh, sniff testing your performance and your financials uh, certainly is an area where uh, most advisors can help. So with that, hopefully we've given you sort of the top 10 things to consider in uh, doing your own M&A transaction. If we can be of any assistance or you have specific questions, as always, feel free to uh, email us at info at revenuerocket.com or uh, take a look at the uh, plethora of resources that we have available on the topic on our website at revenuerocket.com. And with that, we'll tie a ribbon on it, call it another podcast for this week in May 2020. Thanks and have a great day.